everyone, I'm Paula Diana, and this is Unleashed the Game Changers. Today, our guest is Lola Shonein. She's in Lagos right now. She's an author, a publisher, and a festival founder. She actually founded the biggest festival in whole Africa. Thank you, Lola, for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I love your story, but I want to know more listening from you, where you come from and how much you struggle in order to become so famous and have your novels, you know, published and never known worldwide. Um, if, if there's anything that I've, that I have, that I think I want to say, because I'm 46 now, and I realize that a lot of my career um, a, a lot of my career as a writer, I have tried to advocate for especially women to tell the truth about themselves. Yeah, because I, I strongly believe that that's the way we're going to save the next generation. And in many ways, we've already failed the next generation, which is why there's so much talk about rape and sexual abuse and gender-based violence happening in Nigeria yeah. because we maybe didn't say enough, you know, to our daughters, but also to our sons. We didn't try to kind of make sure that even though the world out there is promoting and perpetuating the patriarchy, that we have almost like a daily job to recalibrate their brains when they come back sure, home. You're, you're 100% it's a constant, constant yeah. process. And I also brought my sons up very differently to my daughters. I actively showed outrage and disgust whenever I saw any form of abuse especially when it was, you know, from a man directed at a woman or a girl or a boy to a girl. I, I would always, I, I would feel irritated and annoyed and disgusted, but I deliberately made a big deal out of it whenever I was with my sons. Because I knew that they respected me and I wanted them to dislike the things that I disliked. So in a way, it's, a little bit kind of manipulative, but I wanted to make, I really wanted to shape the way that they saw violence towards yeah. women. Well done, well done to you, Lola. I think all mothers, especially all mothers or boys, they should do the same because this is the only way. We all have to speak up and we all have to make it clear that this general culture that is around us is completely wrong because it's still very, very deeply misogynistic. So women, they still have to fight every day. And if our boys, they don't understand that, they will never help us. And we need men on our side as well. If not, we will never change society. So no, I'm really Absolutely. happy we are. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that a lot of women don't realize is I recently, only recently told my younger son that I experienced sexual abuse. And I realized that even though it was easy for me to talk to my daughters 
about it, easier. It was a bit more uncomfortable talking to my son about it. But I was so proud of this 16 year old, you know, when I had this conversation with him and I was just saying that, you know, you've got to understand that these things happen in the world. And you know what? This even happened to me. And of course he was, he was, you know, visibly kind of shaken that I had had that experience but I know that it's also a way of training him to understand empathy. Because sometimes I think empathy, empathy has to be taught. I don't think it always comes naturally to everybody. So, you know what I mean? Sometimes you, with kids, you have to, you have to kind of model how they should respond to certain situations this is funny because we've ended up talking about parenting and and raising children more than anything else it's true but it's very important Uh, it's very important and especially if you're a feminist i think you have to understand that you need to have a different type of parenting you know compared to what you had in your past but uh, did you meet again the man who abused you when you were a child or no? Never. Never. Not since that time. So th- th- that's Never that's since true. that time. Never seen, never, you know, never come across. Really and for a long time, I could, I could remember his face. I, I knew, I could remember everything because I was tiny. And I remember being pushed up on a, on a metal pillar, which was in, um, in the, 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 like the, the, the quarters where the people who worked in our household lived. So I remembered his face, his hair. I remembered so much. And then I think when I was about, when I was about maybe 18 and you know, I, I decided I didn't want to remember it anymore. So over the years, the face has faded. But I still remember everything else. It's, 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 you know, I think I say a lot of these things now because there's so much that I'm beginning to understand even now at this age. And it just goes to show that alert, you know, we're on a, the, the lear, this learning curve, it's like, it's till we die. <laughs> you know, we, we learn and understand things and things that happened as a child and why certain decisions were taken. I've written poems about, about this, you know, I've, I've not kept quiet about it. Yeah, but, but that's what I guess a woman should do, not keep quiet. That, that's yeah. the message to give to all of them. And, and also, you know, that's I right. think we should all believe victims. That The thing that drives me mad is that in our society, in order to believe a victim of abuse, you know, woman, oh, you have to prove everything. They tend to believe more to the aggressor, potential aggressor, than to the woman. Like we go there and we enjoy inventing this kind of things. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. 
I agree with you. And the, I mean, watching um, American politics has really um, opened my eyes to, to, to kind of how, how when, when, when people have power, um, they can make the world dance to their tune. And I think that's what it has always been with men. They've, the world has empowered men. They are born empowered, you know. They are born believing that they're superior a lot of the time, you know. And we, we you know, the way we bring kids up and everything, it perpetuates that. But then when I was watching um, the Supreme Court nominee, Kavanaugh, And there was this woman who had accused him. So it was very interesting for me to watch the response and how people responded to that. And then, of course, the fact that I don't even know how many women have accused, you know, even the president of the United States of, of, you know, some sort of sexual assault. And then I watched it recently happen also with, Joe Biden, you know, and you're absolutely right that, 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 you know, the the burden of, um, of proof is often on the woman. And what I always, my response to that is simply, and this is what I tell young women, I'll say, so be ready with that proof (laughs) if it needs that you you, you need to understand that this world is already fixed against you. The world is already um, sort of exists the, the way that we, the world has been structured. You're almost, you know, already the underdog. Yeah. So when something happens, you've got to make sure you have evidence. You yeah. keep all the evidence. You know, it's important. And I think when that happens more and consistently, um, men will find it much more complicated to wriggle out of these accusations. Of course, of course. But also, I think anyway, women, they should start believing more other women. At least we should start. It's so important. We should start from empathy. As you said before, it's very important to put ourselves in the shoes of uh, that woman because what happened to her might happen to me tomorrow. Might happen to my daughter, you know, after tomorrow. So we should all start thinking about that. But you know, Lola, I was interested about uh, uh, the concept uh, you were sharing before about religion because... Mm. Uh, this is something that really, really uh, interests me. Uh, so the connections, you know, among religion and uh, patriarchy and uh, our, you know, culture nowadays. Can you tell me more about that? No, I, well, I was just telling you that Nigeria is kind of going, it, it, you know, somebody said, um, uh, so I organized two festivals. The the one that I organized, um, that I curate in Northern Nigeria, I think it was last year. So we had a professor, a political scientist who came and he said that 
he didn't, he wasn't certain that there was any other society like Nigeria where over a short period, relatively short, of 50 years, um, you could find such a radical, you know, radical beliefs being so widely accepted, radical religious beliefs, extreme beliefs, you know, extreme behavior, especially when it comes to the way that people absorb, accept, and respond to religion. And he said he, had, he didn't know that there was any other country like Nigeria. And what's also special is that you have Christians, you know, um, maybe 50 years ago, you know, going to the Methodist, Anglican church, whatever, Catholic church. And then we had this total kind of deluge of, you know, it was just a massive, this, the arrival of the kind of Pentecostal Christian um, behavior, the, the, the Pentecostal Christianity, we often call it here, but I think Americans call it the evangelical or evangelical. So you have that happening. So Christianity has moved from kind of, you know, regular everyday Sunday, Sunday church to, to, to this, the, the kind of thinking that actively just condemns other people, you know? And then with Islam also, if you look at pictures of many people in Northern Nigeria from the seventies, it's almost like what people say about Iran, where people were quite liberal, you know, they accepted other people. Religion wasn't as big an issue. And we've gone from that to, to Boko Haram, to extreme Islamic, you know, um, thinking. So what's unusual, I think, about Nigeria is that you've, you've, we've moved, there's been a shift in, in both of the major religions in the country. And it's led to, um, with Christianity, I can't speak as confidently um, about Islam. So with Christianity, for instance, you've got some of those um, verses that I think have been deliberately interpreted um, in a way that, that reduces and diminishes women and the very important role that they play in society. Um, there's also, I was having a conversation about this yesterday, that it's a few days ago, that it's very rare, for instance, when you're looking at my book, um, my novel, the, if you go to any of these churches, it's so common for them to say, well, all the women who are barren and all the women who want to have children come out for special prayers. I have never heard a call, an altar call for men who either don't have any kind of living sperm or have low sperm count. So there's so much that happens that is always the woman's fault. It's always the woman who is dis destroying yeah. thing, you know, normalcy or what's, it's weird. 
Yeah, but if we think about, you know, the Christian religion, everything started from the apple, you know, that Eve asked yeah. Adam to steal. Evil Eve. <laughs> yeah, evil Eve. I mean, do, do you believe in one religion? Were you raised no. uh, on some religion or no? I was raised Christian. Yeah, I was raised Christian. <laughs> I was raised as a as a um, um, a. We, my parents are Methodists. They go to the Methodist church. They used to go to the Methodist church, and I think in '87 they um, they kind of gravitated towards the evangelical um, church and kind of took all the kids with them well i was young i didn't have much of a choice i kind of just followed and did everything that i was asked and told to do but i have very distinct memories of questioning um some of a lot of the stuff actually that was being said and i think that has a lot to do with just the way my my mind works where certain things can very quickly look like injustice to me and, and I just don't understand and it makes me shut down everything else. So by the time I was about 20 years old, um, it was clear that religion was not for me. So by the time I was, you know, you 25. Religion. Sorry? Do you think it's for women religion? I think it only works for the women who feel protected by it, which is equal to probably zero. So even the idea that you're, you're being protected by the tenets of this religion in itself is false. You're, it's almost like living in a bubble. It's an illusion. Um, yeah, it is. For me, it, it's, it, it doesn't really exist. I never felt protected by religion ever. I never felt protected by organized religion, by going to church. Going to church never made me feel better about myself. And that's just the sad truth. By the time I was 25, I realized that a lot of my ideas and the things that I felt strongly about, um, very few of them had their roots in Christianity or Islam, because I have about 50% of my extended families that you know, are Muslims as well. But I, 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 it, I, my ideas and my beliefs were not founded on anything that I had learned as a churchgoer. And it's funny because, you know, we were talking about kids. We've raised, um, we raised our kids, um, I kind of call it like an open <laughs> religious experience because we had a nanny who liked going to church and she would say, look, I want to take the kids. Can they come with me? I'll say, sure, take them. Then if they had a friend who was a Muslim who was doing something in a mosque and they said, oh, we're going to see a mosque. We want to go, mom. Can we go? I say, sure, go. You will have a temple, go. I literally let them go and experience 
anything they wanted to experience, but I was not going to be the one that would impose any religion on my children. And that's how I raised them. So when you, when I tell my child that you don't tell lies, it's not because the Bible says don't tell lies. It's because you need to understand the consequences of that behavior. And that's again, takes us back to what I was saying about teaching empathy. I think if we taught each other empathy, rather than using fear of hell or the devil, people would, people I think would be better turned out because of all the religious beliefs and advice and, you know, tenets and whatever, it hasn't stopped men from being abusive. Yes, yes, absolutely. Actually, sometimes the most religious ones are the worst, are the most violent ones. And predatory. Are the abusers. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. And also, you know, I think it's completely wrong to teach religion to our children when they are children. I think they should start studying religions and also history of religions when they're adults, when they already have, you know, uh, some kind of education so they can choose. They can use their own brain. Go with your, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the other thing is that these religions are complicated for me as a black person already so when i was leaving university when i was about 2021 i was reading all these incredible kind of black american poets and writers from alice walker to tony morrison to maya angelou to Ntozake shange to i mean paula marshall you know jamaica kincaid my life was full of black my head was full of a lot of black american voices and i was slightly uncomfortable this is slightly controversial but after i studied slavery and understood what start what transpired 400 years ago um, I found it very difficult to, to relate to anybody who finds solace in the same religions on which this totally abhorrent, disgusting um, behavior like slavery was founded on. People have used religion and the Bible to justify just about every evil thing that you can come across. Yes, yes. And I, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me as a black person. If, if somebody be- has a certain belief and that belief or that system has been used to oppress me or dehumanize me, I am, I, the, the, my my reaction to that is to reject that sort of religion so christianity started getting very complicated for me 
you know, in my late teenage years, I was just nervous about certain things and I was reading things and I was beginning to understand feminism and I was thinking, where does this all sit with Christianity, you know? So these were all the thoughts that I was having, you know, in my my early 20s. And I think those are the things that have shaped how I decided to raise my own children. So I you know, some of the deities in Yoruba religion. We've even talked recently about the Igbo religion, you know, Igbo belief system, what a chi means, things like that, that they read in books, they will ask me. That's what I regard to be a really rounded kind of upbringing. Um, that's what I, you know, that kind of sense of freedom. We, we, we do so much to deny people freedom because we want to discipline them. We want to restrain them. We want more than anything for them to share the exact beliefs that we as parents have had or have. Whereas for me, I, I feel that, I, I believe very early that the way to, to make my children to be complete human beings and to be kind of whole human beings was to not impose anything on them. I would just constantly talk about things, throw ideas, ask questions. So I say, what do you think about this? Have you thought of this? That's interesting. What about this though? You know, so constantly all the time. My daughter was on the phone for, with me for two hours yesterday because she has this, she has a boyfriend who's um, Romanian. Um, and she, she's trying to work out with everything that's going on in the world. Um, she's trying to figure out if he has, enjoyed white privilege and she was telling me that she doesn't really she's not totally sure because he grew up in a society where everybody was white hmm. so the basis of discrimination yes. were not about race and she was saying and that he's from eastern europe and that's very different from the west and i was just in love with the things that she was saying and her thoughts process because she was beginning to see how complex life is. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of something we, we all have to realize because then we can deal with it and simplify it. Yeah, but also, you know, you gave them the gift of a free, free thinking, you know, of uh, really, really understanding what's going on and using your own thoughts in order to try to understand reality. And, and that's a gift, you know, and I think everything goes through education and good role models like yourself instead of religions. I think actually religions, especially if they are extremist ones, so they're doing more damage to humanity for women than anything else. 
I think the key is education. What do you think as an example, you know, the government of Nigeria should do in order to tackle, you know, the problems that uh, women face every day? Like you said, you know, violence, domestic violence, sexual abuse. It's interesting because we kind of have an agency that's devoted to orientation. And I think a lot of that is kind of shaping how we see ourselves and I guess how we expect the world to see us and also our relationship with the outside world. Um, but I, I don't think that agency ever imagined that um, they would be saddled with the responsibility of finding innovative you know, urgent means of reaching young men in society. If they haven't started thinking about it, it's what they need to be thinking about right now. Because even the way that, that with what's in the news, with so many rapes and murders, I think they need to understand... Um, you know, the harm that, that that can do for tourism, for people who generally just kind of maybe want to visit Nigeria, but also the impression that it leaves in the mind. That how is it that people who can do this sort of thing, rape and murder other human beings, are still walking, you know, the streets? Because you hear about these crimes, you very re rarely hear that there are consequences. That's so it's quite rare, yeah, to hear, say, here's a man who's done this, 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 and he's being punished by, with this number of years. It's not something that I hear as often as I hear women being abused and assaulted. So it's got to be taken very seriously. And I, I don't know if it was you, because I had another interview just before this, but I was saying that, um, I read in the newspapers that the um, the governor's forum, like the, the 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 kind of council of of the governors in Nigeria, have come together and declared that um, this that you know that we're in a state of emergency with the crazy stuff that's happening to women, and that's a huge step forward. That acknowledge and that recognition in itself by government, you know, instruments, by, by people who are in government um, is, is massive, yeah. is very important. But we need to go to the next step now of thinking of ways that we can start this proper kind of reorientation. Yes. And it's going to be painful. Every single governor in Nigeria is a man. So that was my next question, love. <laughs> You're reading my mind, seriously. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, do you think that we need more women uh, in politics in order to change these kind of things forever? We shouldn't need women to, to tell us to be human beings and how to be human and, and behave in a, the appropriate way to other people, but I honestly feel that the women are going to save the world. Yeah, 
I, I know it sounds extreme, and I know maybe it sounds a bit radical and some might even say nonsensical, but I have totally lost faith in leadership that's led by men. I find that they are so uh, just disappointing is the word. <laughs> it just sounds horrible, but I, I cannot think of many male leaders that I have any admiration for. Lala, you're actually talking to another radical. I don't know if you know, but I wrote a book <laughs> and I published in 2016, and the title is Saving the World, Women, the 21st Century Factor for Change. <laughs> it's the only way. I, I, I look at leadership. Look at New Zealand. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I wish we had her as a prime minister here in the UK and eventually in Nigeria and Italy as well. Yeah, I wish I had her in Nigeria. But, you know, you've got to think of how the system produced that sort of woman. We, maybe we need to be thinking about how it happened. How did she have that sort of space that not only allows her to be a leader, but she's actually an exceptional leader? Yeah, and she's true to herself. She has a different yeah. type of leadership. She's not uh, imitating men in the wrong type of leadership or habits. She's actually making changes, just being herself, being empathic, being pragmatic, being yeah. just, being fair. Yeah, yeah. she's, she's being practical with solutions. Yeah. But also, you know, I think the greatest... It's a kind of weird thing to say, but one of the greatest, and I think this is why people also maybe loved um, and still love Barack Obama, with leadership, to be honest with you, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the evidence that, that you can empathize with another human being. Because I feel that a lot of the corruption and madness that we see in politics is actually just from a loss of empathy. Yes. yes. And if men, yeah, because they've always been or largely been the predatory ones, you know, it's like they haven't learned anything. They haven't learned humility in the way women are forced to. Yes. They haven't learned quietness. They haven't learned pain. They haven't understood pain because they haven't really had to encounter it in the way that women have to feel it every day, day in, day out, from when they're girls to when they're women. Women are just constantly having to learn about the world and learning to cope with the world. A lot of the time, men don't have to cope. They can just be. It's true. And I think that's what's killing their leadership skills. Yes. yes. They, they've lost something and, and women still have that thing. And I, I, I see it in, in women. It's like with my book that's just going to be um, adapted for, for uh, as a series on Netflix, which was just announced 
uh, on fri last Friday. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I was the, one of the most exciting things about the project for me was the fact that the producer is this Nigerian woman who has been single-minded about her goal and the huge strides that she wanted. You know, she, she, she decided early on, obviously, to take in television and the film production. And she has just gone from strength to strength. And I, when, even when I talk to her, I can feel the focus. She, she's almost obsessive. And I get it because I'm like that as well with my work. You know, she, she communicates with me at 3 a.m. Probably just thinking, oh, I had a thought. Let me just tell Lola she'll answer me in the morning. And then she's amazed when I immediately respond. Because a lot of the time, I am up at that time as well. And that, I think, that level of devotion and dedication is something that I just find it blows my mind when I see that quality in women. You know, it, it just excites me. And they, they just make the most incredible leaders. And sometimes they do it very quietly. And I love that. Yeah, yeah just... I agree with you 100%. And I really hope that women and men as well, they will start voting for more women when it's time, you know, when we will have political elections. That's very important as well, you know, because if you don't see other women as leaders, you're not going to vote for them. So it's very, very important that we, we change, but I'm confident for the future. But what about yeah. in what we are experiencing nowadays in America? Because before you were talking about crimes, crimes that are ongoing in Nigeria, you don't see people who are you know, responsible behind bars. What is happening now in America, you know, with this police brutality is horrendous. And I'm sure you can't really sleep at night. Can you tell me something more? I feel, you know, as, as again, as a black person, when I've watched those protests or I've seen the brutality, I think it's, there's a way in which as a black person, I connect in a very direct way with what's happening because sometimes I'm watching a protest and I'm seeing people and I'm thinking, oh my God, that looks like my neighbor. That looks like somebody I went to school with. So in many ways, when it's happening, the things that I'm seeing, I feel like like it's happening to me, you know, and my family. And it's very painful. You know, I was telling you earlier that um, I read a lot of African-American, especially women writers, but I actually wrote my undergrad, my, 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 for my first degree, my thesis was on them. Um, on Toni Morrison's work. And that's when I, even as a black person, I started to understand that even the black experience is very varied. 
Do, do you get what I mean? So my experience as an African, as a Nigerian, it doesn't mean that I will automatically understand what a black person that's living somewhere else is living, but it means there's the, the avenue for understanding it and being able to have it resonate with me is a lot more direct. Yes. So when I see those things, it, it kind of wounds me, but it also makes me angry. And it makes me angry that, um, just that, um, that, that people, that black people like me have to live in such fear. It's painful. It's not that we don't have our own problems in Nigeria and of course other parts of the world, and we should care about what's going on in any part of the world. So I'm in, interested in injustice, if it's in Australia or China, don't, you know, yes, I'm interested, but there's a way in which this seems very wrong to me. Nice. That after everything the um, black Americans have been through, they are still being subjected to this level of brutality. It, 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 it's, it's, um, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's hard for me. I, I try to, to understand or to look at it and how it might look from the perspective of a white person. But I've also read so much recently about, you know, even people taking responsibility for their own whiteness, you know? So you have this thing that has given you certain privileges. It's not enough to just say, oh yes, I acknowledge it, uh, it's bad, okay, I'll keep quiet. There has to be action. It's the same way we're talking about women and men and how we have to come together and this change has to be kind of whole, it's got to be like a, a, a major shift. I think with race in America, my attitude is also very similar that it's going to take a groundswell. It's going to take more people learning and understanding things very quickly and understanding how they need to act and respond in certain situations. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, it's a, I actually find it physically painful to, to remember certain things that my eyes cannot unsee. I, 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 can't, I can't unsee George Floyd being killed. I can't, it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And, and not only this in general, but even what women of color are going through. Because if you think about the case of Breonna Taylor, you know, I mean, her murders, they're still working. And she, only because she was a woman, no one started, you know, all these demonstrations after what happened to her. This is something that blows my mind, you know. Why this is happening? You know, I, th I think really, you know, as a, as a black woman, you, you, you can be even angrier, you know, thinking about that, right? Mm. 
Yeah, it's, 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 it, for some reason, I heard about Briona, but I heard about it, she kind of in a very peripheral, you know, it, it wasn't, I, I read maybe one or two articles and thought, man, this, I can't believe this. But I guess a, a, enough people, it, it wasn't quite like this. And every time, even with this entire, you know, the protests and the conversations, I am humbled every time I see um, Breonna's name mentioned on social media because it's so wonderful that there are people who, who have decided that part of their, their everyday duty is to make sure people don't forget. Do, do you know what I mean? And that's so important too, because I'm, I'm one of those people who feel that, that we kind of all play different roles. And part of the confusion with a lot of, part of the difficulty with women is that you were almost kind of born to play a role and then society doesn't let you. And it just, you're demeaned and it flattens you so that you can't be your full self and fulfill your potential, you know, and the same way that I look at, okay, maybe my reason for being born was to run festivals, talk about books, promote, you know, other writers, help to develop culture on my continent there are also people who have who understand that their duty is to keep things front and center of our memories and they play as valuable a role so you know just some of the little ways that that i kind of look at life you know i was saying earlier that first you have to understand that life is very complex and hum- and human beings and the human mind but when you come to terms with that then you can start thinking of how to simplify things so in for the last 4 years or so i think that's the phase that i've been in my life i want to keep things simple i want to say this is my this is how i feel this is how I felt yesterday, but this is how I feel now. And this is why, but I also want to, I, I also want to act, be an active learner, you know, and help be help. I'm saying this possibly because, um, I, I suffer from, um, clinical depression. So, I know how my mind in the past has been able to wind itself into a very, um, a very dark ball of wool, if you know what I mean, such that you can't even pull it apart. So I think because I had so many years of struggling with that, I just want things to be simple for me now and that means understanding what i feel my goal is what i think my ambitions should be 
how I want my family life to be, how I want my work to be, and how all that impacts how I want my wider society, you know, to be. So that's kind of my philosophy recently has been, how can I make things simpler for myself? <laughs> it's definitely a good start. And anyway, whatever you do, I, I know that you are a great role model, first of all, for the Nigerian society, but then for women around the world. Seriously, well done. Well done, you. Thank you so much. We need women like you. Do you like, Paula, do you like people um, saying you're a role model? Do you, is it something you embrace? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I never thought about that. Um, but actually, yeah, I, I, I think uh, definitely I take it as a compliment. Uh, and I think we all need role models. That's the point. Uh, when I, when yeah. I was uh, young, I, I wish I could have uh, a woman role model. Yeah. I'll tell you the truth, uh, I didn't. I don't really remember. Uh, I had a man, I had a mentor, uh, and it was mm. a very empathic uh, man. So it was uh, one of my professors, it was really good. But yeah, I wish I had women. And uh, I think our girls now, the more role models they have, the, the better they can, you know, see themselves in the future. Because, you know, it's easier. if you see who you could become, it's easier for you to dream about that. So we need the women who are prime ministers, head of a bank, uh, like authors, founders of festivals. Yeah, because then, you know, other girls, they will, they will dream about being them. Yeah. No, I think it's very right. I think you're absolutely right. Because I tend to, um, I kind of shy away from, from the idea of being a role model. I think I've done that a lot of my life, possibly because I have always believed that I was very flawed. So I was almost nervous about misleading people, you know, and I wasn't as certain about the different steps I was taking in my life as maybe I am now. I wasn't as deliberate and in, you know, about what I was doing. I was just trying to, you know, I was, I was kind of working things out on my own. And when you're doing that, you make mistakes. So one of my worries was, has always been that you can see me as a role model if you like, but you have to accept that as a woman and as a human being, please do not expect perfection from me. Oh my God, I love this. I love this. No, 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 no. I, I'm, a, I'm on your side 100%, yeah. But yeah. you know what? You shouldn't uh, expect perfection from any woman, you know, because unfortunately, that's the real problem. We always wanted women to be the best of the best of the best in order for them to have a career, in order for them to arrive at the top. But we never asked that to men. So I always say that real, real, you know, equal opportunities uh, will happen when even average women, uh, they will go at the top and they will have we the same success as average men because this is the reality, you know, what's happening. So yeah, no, yeah. I'm talking about perfection. The role model, I definitely see a role model, you know, some, someone who actually definitely made uh, his, uh, you know, her own mistakes, uh, struggled, you know, tried, tried one path and then another one. But then she she became empowered she empowered herself 
and yeah. she became free. Uh, a very yeah. important concept for me, for women especially, is to be free, mentally free, free from preconditions, free That's from right. religions, free from yeah. you know, this general culture that always knocks at our head and tell us who we should be, what we should do, how we should talk. What to wear, how what to sit, yeah. where to oh go. <laughs> oh my God, how to look, you know, everything. Yeah. So yeah, I recognize uh, women like me when I find them and I, I think you're a free woman. And I think that's the most you know, important compliment I can give to you. <laughs> Thank you so much because you know what? I chase freedom. I've chased freedom, I think, you know, my whole life. And it's not just freedom, even freedom from my own thoughts, yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I wanted freedom. All my, my poetry, my books, are, so there's um, Song of a River Bird, For the Love of Flight. And it was just that thing about birds that always attracted me, how they can just soar and they don't have to worry about their wings hitting another. And that's how, that's the life I've always wanted to live. And let me tell you something, right? I don't think I became totally free in my life until maybe three years ago or two and a half, three years ago. I think that's when I really understood freedom. And of course, freedom comes with independence. And a lot of the time, freedom comes with financial independence. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I went through the same, Lola. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And I'm in my 40s as well. I think actually I, I gained my freedom in my forties and I love yeah. this period of my life. I love it. When women, they complain about aging, I, I can't understand them. You know, I'm like, this it. is the best period of our lives. Just I love it so much. Sometimes I don't say a lot of things because I worry again about the impact that it might have on other people. And maybe they will receive that information in a way that doesn't help them. So there is that tendency for me to kind of, my, some of my experiences, I keep them very much inside. It's only in the last few months that I've decided that it's important for me to speak about things. Yeah. You know? It's very yeah. You, 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 you have to speak up and speak out yeah, yeah. Um, and not be afraid. Yeah, the truth can hurt you, but will set you free. Not only exactly. yourself, but all the other people around us. So actually, I think you're doing other people a favor when you speak the truth, when you are bold, when you speak out. Exactly. That's why I, um, I keep saying that women when you look at the people writing autobiographies in Nigeria, if you're lucky, there'll be one by a woman in a year. So, so the, even our diet is, is so incomplete. You know, when you're thinking about understanding and studying or looking at the experiences of Nigerian women, and you're trying to read up on it, there isn't that much out there because some of the greatest women leaders didn't leave their truths behind for us. Mm, that's not they true. took them to their graves. And 
we just continued a lot of the mistakes because you know we know they did this they did that but we don't know how they did it <laughs> we 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 don't know the but you see, this is how we were raised. You know, we were raised like you have to be humble. You yeah. don't have to be ambitious. You have to yeah. take care of the others, you know, yeah. and be selfless. Don't do this. You know, maybe it's not for you. <laughs> don't, oh my gosh, don't risk. You know, all these wrong things. So through yeah. my life, I had to, to set myself free from each one of these oppressions. You know, it's like they brainwashed us. Yeah. Oh, and totally. We're all brainwashed. Everywhere in the world, you see? I mean, patriarchy is crazy. It's around us, everywhere. Yeah. You have a part of your skin, your sexual, your orientation, your nation. It's everywhere. It's so widespread. It, it's, the, it's, the, it, it's the greatest achievement of manhood, I think. And when I say manhood, I'm talking about men in particular. But I think it's, it's actually genius how they've been able to make the world dance to the tune of men. Yeah. And I keep asking myself, how many women did they have to destroy to achieve this? Oh my God. Oh my because God. no, no, it, it, look at the things that we are saying are happening to us in our forties. Yeah. You know, I all, we could easily, have been one of those women who are not free. It, you know, it, it's not your imagination. You don't have to have a wild imagination yes. to know that you could easily have been in that situation. But they actively sought out women who were ambitious, who were wise, yes. who could see the world very clearly, and they must have destroyed them. Yes. Because if you were alive, you would have spoken up. Yes, oh my gosh. But if you think about the Catholic Church, what they did to witches, you know? I mean, it was a genocide. It was a yeah. genocide. And they were targeting strong, independent women. So That's it. me and you, I tell you the truth, we would have burned. Huh. Oh, they would have killed us. Easy. We would have been the first on the first yeah. day. Yeah, in the first day. They'd have used us as a, they'd have poured some kerosene and fuel <laughs> on us to use us to light other people. <laughs> yeah, this is you know, to burn other people. Yeah. It was a genocide. They should, yeah. they should apologize for that every day. And mm. every day it wouldn't be enough. Mm. So, it yeah. would never be enough. Um, the souls of great women have, um, have, have been you know, snuffed out of history, relegated, yeah. destroyed. And it's, this is why conversations amongst women are also very important because um, we, we are telling our stories. Yeah. And you see all these similarities, they mm. all come out, all these similarities, it is incredible. Mm. So, yeah, but you know what? I, I'm a positive thinker. So I, I believe in the future, we will get there. We will set our gender free and we yeah. will change society for the better. I always think that uh, women not only will uh, make a better society for themselves, but also for their children and for their men. Because Absolutely. men are oppressed as well by this uh, toxic masculinity. They're That's oppressed. right. Now, Mi Mi um, Mona El-Tahawi, the Egyptian feminist, always says, uh, 
I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. She always says, um, we are not free until everyone is free. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah. and, you know, it, it, you know, conversely, individual freedoms automatically make other people free. So it's like a... a yeah, it's contagious. It's contagious. Yes, it is. It's contagious. And, and, and in, a, in a most beautiful way, I also have so much confidence in the next generation, you know, because when I listen to, to my daughters at their conversations they have with their peers, I think they're so much smarter than I was. You know, I just, I'm like, how do they know all this, you know? Yeah. And um, I think it's incredible. It's, it's, um, it's going to be a better world because these young ones are not going to take any shit from men. That's going to be the, I think that's what it is. They are already rejecting, I need to be married to be happy. I need to have kids to be happy. All those things that have been there forever, you know, are being um, disrupted. Yeah. And that disruption, only good can come from it. Yeah, 100%. Oh my God, Lala, I feel so connected with you, seriously. I would love to give you a hug now. <laughs> but we can do a virtual hug. <laughs> Yeah, but definitely I have love to meet you in person next time in Nigeria or in London or wherever we will be. Are you are you based in London? I'm based in London, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll be over um very soon anyway. So I'll Easy. I'll send you a, a so we can take a selfie together somewhere. Definitely, definitely. So we keep going on our conversation. Okay, so Absolutely. now is the time of the final five questions. Is that right? Okay. And, and then I can leave you because I know you're very busy. So which is the one thing that people would never think about you just by looking at you? That I didn't have an orgasm until I was 26. Wow. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about this the next interview, Lola. <laughs> I, I think we need to talk about this. I know it, it was, it, it's just that it's the, it's one thing that, um, yeah, I'm sorry. It, it's, I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so which is your spirit animal? Uh, giraffe. Why? Can I say that? Because I, I don't know, I just feel, I just, sometimes I look at them, I think they're so beautiful, but I also wonder if they're sad because, you know, they have this long neck that seems to be quite awkward. I was heartbroken when I was about 17. I saw this documentary and I saw two giraffes fighting and they were literally slamming their necks against the, and I just, I was traumatized. But I, <laughs> because I love them. I love them with their black tongues. I, I just have always liked them. But I, I think it's because I, I, I feel, maybe I feel a bit sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were a superhero, which would be your superpower? To, um, it's not really a superpower, I guess. Um, what would I like to be able to do? I think 
it would have to be, um, I think it, it's called teleport. So just that thing where you can, you can want to be in a place and you can just go there because I, I don't like traveling. And so if I could cut out all the travel, it would be great. <laughs> what did you learn from your last relationship? That you should um, always put yourself first. That the, the, you are only useful and supportive and helpful to other people when you are yourself, um, when you're helpful to yourself, basically. Yeah. Just that you're, you're, it's so natural for us to, to put everything before um, ourselves, and especially for women, it's it's such a natural, it's almost instinctive for us and to be selfless and care about everybody else but ourselves. But we lose something when that happens. And the last question, Lola, what love. is the meaning of life? Love and um, empathy. Wonderful. Thank you, Lola. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your story with such honesty. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Have a lovely evening. Yeah, you too. And see you soon in London. See you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for watching Unleashed the Game Changers. I hope you love Lola as much as I love her. Please share with your friends, leave a comment and let me know who do you think I might interview the next time. Bye.